0: Today we go to Romans chapter 8, very last verse, 39, very last phrase, and verse 39. You thought this day would never come, huh? We we started this series January the 1st, 2017, this chapter, and uh, we are finishing this chapter today. And some of you folks say, but I missed all those. They're all on the website, which is kind of fun that we could do that. They're available for you if you want them. Uh, but what I'd like to share with you today is what it's all about. All right? What it's all about. I've been talking about the love of God. I've been talking about our security as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what comes down to the main point. In Jesus Christ the very last phrase you see in Romans chapter 8 verse 39 it says well just read the phrase nothing in that sense verse 39 nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord now I want to say this as we get started so you understand where I'm going to go. So you're not, you know, wondering what's Pastor Bob going to tell me this morning. It's this. As long as Jesus Christ exists, we are secure in the love of God. That sounds a funny way to say it. But Hebrews will say that when we get to the end. He exists. He lives. He always intercedes for us. And because of that, we are secure. Saved forever. It's not based on you or me. It's based on Him. And that's why this whole chapter comes down to one simple phrase, because without this phrase, none of this is not really valuable or will it stick. If I use that word. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an important place that we need to come to. So, let's have a word of prayer and get started today. Heavenly Father, your love is amazing. And what you did to secure that in our life is amazing too. Our Savior died for us. To show us this love. And it's not anything less than how great you are that keeps us this way. And the power of that cross, that keeps us this way. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who keeps us this way. We are secure in you because of Him. And when we study this out today, may it warm our hearts, may it do its job, convincing us thoroughly, if we haven't been convinced yet, about how secure we are in that love. Help us today with our passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I underscore that phrase again, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if somebody said that to you once or twice, you'd say, okay, it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. If it's repeated to you, say, five times, would you consider that to be significant enough to to say, hey, that's important? Ten times? Oh, well, let me ask you this. When you were younger, some of you, some of you are still young. How many times did it take your mom to say something to you before you responded? Okay, if she said it once, if she said it twice, what happens when she's up to 15? Are you starting to sense urgency? urgency? What would you think if I told you a phrase in Jesus Christ repeats itself in the thousands in the New Testament? Would you say that's important? Oh, it's a very significant thing. And I I would challenge you to find almost any chapter... In Paul's writing, you could start with Romans, you could go to Galatians, you could go to Ephesians, you could go to Corinthians, pick anyone you want. Try to find one chapter where it's not in there. This was one of his favorite phrases In Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We have it here, and there's a reason for that. It is that significant for us today. When we started this, we, we were talking about uh, God's work in our life that secures us as believers. When we started on this chapter, I took you to the heart of the chapter. What I consider the heart of the chapter was verse number 16. And I'm going to start you there again today because I want to show you how the pieces come together. Alright? In Romans 8 verse 16... It says this, for the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Right, you see that? It's right there in front of you, right? When I talk about the security of the believer, I never want you to come away thinking that in some way I have made this possible. That it's something I've done that has convinced God he's going to keep me. That in some way I've impressed him, influenced him, manipulated him, tricked him. (laughs) I don't know what you want to put in there. It wasn't me. It was what he has done. And the three points I just made, and that sounds easy today, doesn't it? Three points. But they are right to the point. They're crucial, in my opinion. And that is, the first one has to do with the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. As a believer. It says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. There's a logical sequence in this book of Romans. That led up to this chapter. That led up to our thoughts even today. The first four chapters, if you read them. If you think on them seriously. If you realize that's your biography. It will show you that all of us without Christ are absolutely hopeless. Helpless. Enemies of God. Separated from Him. We use in theological terms the term depraved. Most people don't like that term. It doesn't reflect well in the mirror, does it? Depraved. That means I'm unable to save myself. In its essence. I could not accomplish salvation... I couldn't bargain for my salvation. I could not earn my salvation. I could not be justified in any way but through Jesus Christ. Period. That's the point. See, salvation is God's gift, right? After you go through the first four chapters and feel absolutely like dirt, that's the way I felt anyway, you get chapter five and God doesn't say, oh, you weren't so bad. He actually says, you were a sinner. I mean, he just comes right out and says it, because that's the way he does it. He says in Romans 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, and that's exactly where we were, God loved us then. God sent his son. That absolutely flattens my bad theology every single time. (laughs) Just to read such a verse that God loves me even while I was being his enemy. Even while I was helpless. Even while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ died for me. And he died for you. Those are beautiful words. Refreshing words. Alarming words yet. To think of that. it just somebody dying to pay for what I did. But he did do it. And he did it willingly. But he died on the cross as we talk about this week. We talk about it next week. And we talk about his resurrection. You can't have a resurrection without a death. His death was for us. You know that changes your life forever when you come to know that. It changes your life forever, there were many years that I called myself a Christian I believed I was saved at the age of 12 but I did not understand that until I was 19 or 20 years old I did not fully understand what Christ had done for me I did not appreciate it, I did not live like it but now that I've seen this chapter in Romans, as I've studied this book of Romans, I I am amazed at the whole story this is what he has done. Not what I did, but what he has done. And that's the only way to read the book of Romans, by the way. You cannot read it any other way. It's what he has done. And it's said that over and over again. And that's why in chapter number 8, I challenge you to find anything you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's always, he did, he did, he did, he did, he did. He did. And I think that's a beautiful way to sum up a chapter.
1: But here's what I, I
0: come down to. And I, folks, for some of you who uh, don't spend time with us because you have other churches you go to, other ministries, you live somewhere else, just understand, I'm not being cocky. all right? I'm not standing up here in some sort of a superior position or anything else. I, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for that, I'd be doomed. He did it. He did it. And that's all I'm declaring to you. Because you believe in Jesus Christ. He did that for you too. That's our story. That's what God has done. And I didn't invent this doctrine. I didn't write this. I didn't create this. And by the way, nobody else did. You can't put somebody's name next to it and say, He he came up with this doctrine. No, he didn't. God did. This is God's doctrine. So, I've told you as I started off, there are three simple points here, and this one's crucial. The Holy Spirit has declared you secure as a believer. That's what verse 16 has said. He did something for us that that works in this whole security issue. He's the one who grants us the peace. He's the one who grants us the confidence. He's the one that grants us assurance. As we walk along with Him, and Scripture says you should, right? He's certainly with you as a believer in Christ. He's there. But we learn to walk along with him and walk closer to him. And as we do, we get a better understanding all along of what he is doing. And it's beautiful to look back and say, wow, this is what he's been saying all along. You are a child of God. That's what he's been testifying to. And that's the word we have in front of us. To testify. The power of that little word, testify, is really, really fascinating. If I could show you a Greek word in front of you and you were to spell it out in English letters, it would spell out almost identical to the word martyr. Because that's where we get our word martyr, is from the word testifies. The Greek word testifies is a word we use for martyr. And here's the thing about a martyr, and you probably should be aware of this, a martyr is somebody who dies for something he believes in, right? Would you die for something you don't believe in? I don't think you would. Would you die for a plate of broccoli? I don't believe in broccoli. No, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You, if you think something is serious enough to give your life for, it's important to you, isn't it? This is the word. And I find that fascinating when we're talking about God the Holy Spirit. And one of his ministries to us is they go and they grab the strongest word to express what you believe in. And they reply to him and he's saying that about you. You may wonder at times whether or not you're, you fit, right? If you, if you measure up, if you, if you have any, you know, thing about you that would say, you know, I, I, I think I'm a child of God. The Holy Spirit knows you are. And he uses the strongest possible verb he can to say that. He's absolutely convinced. and a matter of fact, this is a present tense verb, which simply means he is testifying, that the idea is not a past tense like he used to do that, but somehow you blew that. Or that maybe someday he'll get around to it if you build up to it. It's not a potential. He might testify, or he could testify, or he should testify. It's reality. He is testifying. Right now, he is testifying. He will always be testifying. Every moment that now comes along, he's doing that. He is constantly testifying in an unending way. What? What is he so passionate about? You see it. You are a child of God. A believer in Jesus Christ, he's absolutely convinced of it. Do you see that? I'm just reading you the words. We are. That's what Paul says. Exactly that. Not we were. Not we used to be. We might be. We could be. We should be. Do you see? It's not saying we will be. But we hope to be. We are children of God. We're existing that way. That's the beauty of being His child. The Holy Spirit confirms that. Over and over and over and over and over again. You say, okay, let's get a little more specific. What do you mean, Pastor, by a child of God? We use that phrase. If I were talking on a physical realm, you were born to a mother and a father. That's the way it is. You can't deny it. Now, you will always be the child of that mother and that father. Now, maybe they're not here anymore. Or maybe you never knew them. Or maybe some way they separated ways, or you separated ways. Or maybe you were brought up by somebody else. Maybe you you had a different father or mother looking out for you. But the biological fact is simple. You had a mother and a father. That's a fact. All right? Here's a theological fact. In order to be saved, you must be born again. There's no other way to become a child of God, is there? You must be born again. And this is what the scripture says. You can mark these, but I'll just read them off. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. You will never be a child of God without believing in His name. Can't happen. But if you believe in His name, you're a child of God. You see? It also says in John one we We're born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. He's the only one that can do it. That's his department. First John, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There's some evidence in your life that you belong to him because you love like he does. In First John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Did you hear it? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Then Peter adds, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he adds in verse 23, 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again, not of seed that is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus said it over and over and over again, you must be born again. You must be born again. And when you are born again, you become a child of God. It's a theological fact. We are children of God. Have you ever questioned that? (laughs) all of us have one time or another we've looked in the mirror and said I don't know about that one Lord I don't know about that one but who is the one testifying of it right now who is the one who over and over and over again testifies that you are right now a child of God is it your pastor oh he would like to but he gets busy too Sometimes he's not next to you saying that, again, to remind you every few minutes, is it? How about your church? Yeah, it'd be great. That's what the church is for. It's to build you up in your faith, help you understand the truth, right? Your church testifies that you are a child of God. That's not a bad thing to have, if that's the case. Your theology should be good, too, and it should be able to testify to that right now, too. But your pastor, your church, your theology is not what this verse says. Who testifies? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's testifying that God Himself is saying right now, You are my child. Argue with that and you argue with Him. He says, Walk with me. Don't walk in sin. Don't follow the flesh. You say, I try, I could do good on Sundays. No, well, Mondays are different. I struggle. I feel defeated. I get discouraged. Sometimes I go the wrong way. And I think, God, I think you're probably upset with me right now. And then you start to look around as, as if the Egyptian plagues are going to start in your car. <laughs> or, or maybe somewhere in your kitchen. And you're not sure what's happening here. Well, well, you know, I used to think of God in a superstitious way, to be honest. I used to think if I stepped out of line, he was going to zap me with something. I I always had that fear as I was younger. I didn't understand him. But I was very sure he had bad days designed waiting for me just to step out of line. That's living in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And what does the scripture say right here? The spirit... As we walk along with Him, the Spirit is saying, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. I set you free. The Spirit would tell you if I go through every verse in this chapter 8. I set you free from the law of sin. I have fulfilled the requirements of that law. I have given life to you. I have given peace to you. I dwell in you and I give you life. I put to death the deeds of the flesh. I lead you. I give you a spirit of adoption. I give you the desire for eternal things. I give you your hope. I pray for you. I help your weakness. I work together all these things in your life. I was, I was part of the choosing of you the predestinating of you, the calling of you, the justifying you, the glorifying of you. I am conforming you to the image of Christ. I am for you. I defend you. I keep you. These are what he's been saying over and over and over again in this passage. That's just Romans 8, folks. Are you convinced? He's convinced. He's saying, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. Now, if you don't think that's secure, I don't know what you think security is. I can rest right there in that, can't you? This is what he's done. Now, if that was the only point today, I'd say, great, I'm convinced. But that's only one. Let's go to the second thing that I think is crucial to understand, too. It's the love of the Father that secures you as a believer. The love of the Father secures you as a believer. Look at Romans 8.32. We saw this verse not that long ago. It says, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He did not spare his own Son, because he loves you. Do you realize the power of that? When we think of a cross as we do this time of year, this time of this week even, we think of a cross where Jesus pled with his Father before he ever went to that cross. Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. But if it's your will, I'll take it. Remember that prayer? And then he gets on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What was the agony of that? Was it not He was taking that cup that belonged to us? The wrath of God that belonged to us? The agony of our sin, that which was crushing, that iniquity fell on Him, Isaiah 53 says. We should have been the ones forsaken. We should have been the ones crucified. We are the ones who deserve the death and He took it for us. It says here so clearly, God, freely, I'm going to insert words, God beautifully, God deeply shown His love for you. He delivered up His Son. He didn't spare Him. That's how deep a love the Father has for you. John wrote this in First John three one. See, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God. He did not spare His own Son to make those words possible. He delivered Him over for us all to make those words possible. He gave Him up, handed Him over to be condemned, judged, punished, crucified, killed. Buried? He gave him over knowing full well what they would do with his son. He gave him over for you, for me. How do you define love? Can you think of a better one? A stronger definition than what God has said? Every time you see a cross that says, from God's words, I love you. That's what he did. He gave a son, permitted it, allowed it. He knew exactly what would happen. Matthew Henry wrote it this way. When he was to undertake our salvation, the father was willing to part with him, did not think too precious a gift to bestow for the salvation of poor souls that we may now know that he loves us. As precious as his son is to him, and it's an infinite preciousness, he loves you. And gave his son. Those two words will change you forever, folks, if you let them. He delivered his son up for you. He did not spare his own son. Do you call that a fickle love? Do you call that a love that's here today and gone tomorrow? A love of that depth? Do you think it's getting stronger every day, or maybe a little weaker every day, depending on how you're acting? That love is based on the cross, not on you. It's based on his son, not on you. Do you see it? That's crucial to understand in this chapter. We've seen that. We've walked down this road a few times anyway. This love has been proven to us, and it's as faithful as God is Himself. His love for you is so sincere, so passionate, so giving, He gave His very best to show you how much He loves you. That's what He did. Do you call that crucial? (laughs) I do. To understand the love of God. Now, honestly, what's going to separate me from that? Nothing can. That's the point, isn't it? Nothing can. That's crucial to understand. So now you've got, of the, as we use the term in theology, the Godhead. That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got the Father and the Spirit both confirming undeniably that you are a child of God. And it stays that way. One more to add, and you saw it at the end of the chapter. One more to add is simple. The ministry of the Son secures you as a believer. That's that's what it says. Well, I am convinced, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's repeated, as I've told you, thousands of times in the New Testament. The Father is making the point abundantly clear and I want you to hear it. His work of salvation to make you a believer is only through Jesus Christ. That's it. It's only through Jesus Christ. There are not alternative ways. God doesn't change his program just because some fad comes along and it sounds pretty popular. He, he's, he's not a God that shifts skiers into some other area because, you know, the world would like it better that way. you hear what I'm saying? All the way through the centuries, people have come up with different plans and different ideas and different strategies, different ways. They say, if you do it this way, if you do it that way, if you do it this way, and it gets confusing, doesn't it? You say, I don't, I don't get it. You know, they're, they're going to do this. And, you know, they're pretty good people, but they're going to do this. And surely, you know, God's got it somewhere in his heart. He looks at them and says, hey, they're pretty good people. But if they don't come through Jesus Christ, they can't come at all. That's it. That's whole, God's whole plan. From the very beginning to now, and it will be tomorrow, and it will be a hundred years from now, and it doesn't matter. He's not going to change that plan. You know why? Because you're secure in that plan. If that plan changed, then your security means nothing. You see, it's based on what God has done, not on us. And he even did it in such a way that even the route never changes. It never changes. Every now and then, in the last couple of years, if you ever drove down... Uh, 74 toward Oklahoma City. was a time when the bridge was missing. It's kind of hard to go down that road without a bridge, isn't it? You've got to you get across that place. So, what do they do? While they're fixing the bridge, they put a little side road around it. Maybe you were on that. You just kind of loop around it while they were fixing the bridge. God never has to fix the bridge, folks. He doesn't have a side road, He doesn't say, here's the detour. We're going to try something different for a while. God has one way. When Peter was talking to, or not Peter, when yeah, when Peter was talking in Acts chapter 4, he said this in verse 11. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cheap cornerstone. And listen carefully. Acts 4.12. If you want to argue with the point, argue with this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ, the only name that can save you. That's it. That's it. Jesus said it this way in John 10. I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, he who comes by the door, or who, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief. He's a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts them forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow But they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus said to them again, verse number 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep does not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then four chapters later, he says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Is that pretty clear? That's what scripture says. I don't think there's any clearer way to say it. I don't think there is. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. What he's done for us. And you must believe in him to have salvation. There's no other way. There's no other way. Now, if that salvation is only through him, then that salvation is secure in him. You see what I'm trying to show you here this morning? It's in him that we are saved. It's in him that we are secure. Let me just depict it for you in a graphic way, just for a minute. If I was standing here and I took a can of paint and I didn't do it on purpose because it wouldn't look good and I sprayed a circle around me. Just a circle. I don't care. White white would stand out really nice on this carpet. If I just sprayed a circle all the way around here and I'm standing in the middle of the circle that's the preposition of the word in that you're looking at at the end of that chapter. In Jesus Christ. You're in Jesus Christ. Not Coming into, like you're working your way in, you're in or you're not. But when you're in, think of the words when you think this through. When you are in and that circle is around you, whichever way I look, if that circle represents Jesus Christ, guess what? There he is. There he is. There he is. There he is. I start all the way around. I'm in him. That's security. That's the picture of it. It's, it's encompassed me. It's all around me. He is the one who put me here. He is the one who keeps me here. In him. That's the preposition you're looking at. He could have choose, chosen a, a, a number of different prepositions to say, this is what it's like. This is what it means. But he chose this one on purpose because this is where it's at. In Jesus Christ. The love of God comes to you in Jesus Christ. The love of God is secure to you in Jesus Christ. And this is how Jesus states that very fact. In John 6, verse 37, all the way through verse 40, I'll read it. All that the Father gives me comes to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given to me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on that last day. There it is. That's the Father's will. That's the work of the Son. Guaranteed. I use that word and I don't use it lightly. Guaranteed. This is what Jesus says also, John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then I told you I'd get to this point. I want you to see it. It's in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25. Hebrews 7, verse 25. How secure are we in the Son? As long as the Son exists, you're secure in Him. I told you that at the start, didn't I? As long as he exists, we're secure in him. And it says here in Hebrews 7.25, you got to mark this one. This is one of those marking verses, right? This is one that i got to remember this. Therefore, it starts off, and you might have another translation, you might have some alternate words here, but this is what it says. Therefore, he is able also to save, some of you see, to the othermost, some of you see the word forever. And that's the essence. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. When He stops living, you're in trouble. But the Scripture says He always lives. So, what does that mean about your salvation? What that mean about him being able to keep you secure in the love of God? You see, I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced of it. I've been having this joy of sharing this same chapter with you for now, what, 15 months. And I just can't help but say, I love this chapter. What is done for my heart? Just to know this. That because of Christ, I'm secure. Because of the Spirit, I'm secure. Because of the Father, I'm secure. I'm outnumbered, folks. He said so. And boy, am I glad for that. Aren't you? Aren't you glad to know that this is true? It's absolutely true. And I said it before you in just those words today. Because this morning as you're with us in... Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I told you the passage says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Call on His name. Today, He is the only one who can do it. If you need to know Christ as Savior, call out to Him. The pastor can't save you. This church can't save you. He can. And He will. You call out to Him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And as we go into prayer, you can talk to Him even right now. I don't even have to make up a prayer for you. Talk to him. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. Matter of fact, isn't that the whole point? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that? He died for you. You could become a child of God, and you could understand what Pastor Bob's been talking about for 15 months secure in that relationship guaranteed because of his love for you. His love for you. Heavenly Father, we very humbly bow before your throne. Overwhelmed, really, in what you have done. Yes, we know. We don't deserve that. But we are so thankful for it because the fact of it is stronger than our experience. What Scripture says is what endures. And it will endure for all of time. As your word is like that. And you have written this down for us to see and to know so that there would not be a debate. There's no doubt. There's no challenge to this text at all. It's the way you have declared it so clearly, openly, plainly, And yet so lovingly, so forcefully, and yet so kindly. You love us, and that's an amazing thing. And through faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Him, we are your children. and That will never change. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. That you would give your life for us, to put us in such a place like this. Thank you for what you have done. You are indeed our Savior. You're our Lord. As we go and sing about how You are our Lord. You're risen from the dead and You are Lord. Every knee bows. Every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord and we readily confess today with our tongues. Thank You for saving us. And thank You for the authority You have to keep us. We praise You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.